Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Performance Nutrition Files podcast. Just a quick message before we get started today. If you enjoyed the first episode and you're enjoying this podcast as we go through the process, if you could please leave a like, a review, and pass it on to a friend or colleague, subscribe. All of those things can really help the podcast grow, uh, enhance our reach, and allow more people to hear the expert insights of all our fantastic guests. Today's episode is a real good one. Jack Coke brings a lot of uh, knowledge and insight. Uh, and, you know, Jack is relatively early on in his career, but really impressed by what he's done and kind of bet on himself and really built himself a nice niche within the combat sport field. So I hope you enjoy the episode and uh, please, any feedback again, let me know. Guest suggestions, topic ideas, and plenty of fantastic episodes to come. So again, hope you enjoy hi everyone and welcome to episode two of the performance nutrition files podcast really excited to bring on today's guest jack coke to speak a little bit about his experience in setting up his own nutrition consultancy once finishing his sports nutrition education jack how you doing mate all right, Charles, mate. Uh, yeah, cheers for having me on. Looking forward to having this chat. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. And uh, just in a true podcast fashion, if you just want to introduce yourself for the listener and uh, explain a little bit about your journey in the field of sports nutrition. Sure, mate. So so my name's Jack Coke, as you said there. Um, I'm a sports nutritionist, or we like to call ourselves performance nutritionists uh, nowadays instead of sports nutritionists, I guess. Um, kind of my background or how I got into nutrition was originally kind of trained to be a chef when I was at college. So 16 to 18, I trained to be a chef, uh, did that. And then kind of realized that I wasn't really cut out for being a chef with the hard work and all the swearing and all the heat in the kitchen. So thought, uh, quite interested or, you know, got a passion for this food, catering, cooking, gonna try and divulge and learn more about the actual science behind the food. Um, then went on to do a bachelor's degree in human nutrition at St. Mary's University up in Twickenham in London, and then sort of got narrowed down and then started getting more interested in sports and did sports nutrition masters over at Oxford Brooks, um, which was fantastic and and learned a great deal. And then from there, um, just went on my own two feet and decided to set up my business where currently right now specializing in working in combat sports nutrition, where I work with amateur and professional I'd say predominantly, I'd probably say about 80% are boxers. And that's kind of my sport. It gives me then potentially the option to then niche further into that for kind of like marketing purposes, I guess. But I also work with some some MMA athletes too, but never really branched into things like jujitsu or, or Muay Thai. It's, it's pretty much boxing and MMA, but those are the, the two most popular sports, uh, combat sports anyway. Fantastic, mate. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the chef education. I think uh, once you work a few weeks in the kitchen, there is um, props to those guys. That, that's hard work right there. I don't think I'll ever work a day in my life after having done that for a few years. Yeah, it's one of those ones where getting shouted at or, or being told what to do, but that makes me sound like I'm, you know, <laughs> a bit cocky and stuff, you know, to being told what to do, but it's, you know, being shouted at and it wasn't really for me. I was a bit more sort of quiet and reserved. So kind of just preferred doing my own thing and, and um, captaining my own ship, which is, I guess, why I have my own business. 
Yeah, no doubt. So talking about doing your own thing, I want to dive right into this. And, you know, at least to my knowledge, it's pretty uncommon for individuals to set up their own consultation immediately out of school. You know, typically people are taking roles with organizations or teams and the consultation piece is something that comes further down the line. So just talk to me a little bit about that decision. You know, why, why did you choose that route? Um, truthfully, my, my parents have, have been entrepreneurs and they both had their own business. So I've, you know, since I was younger, I've seen, seen them have, have different businesses and my dad still has his now. So I'm kind of exposed to, to that in the, in the first place. I just kind of thought that it was in my, my DNA sort of my, my brothers aren't really that way inclined. They don't really think like perhaps me and my dad think. Um, so it was always going to be a question of setting up my business before it was always going to be, I was going to set up my own restaurant when I wanted to be a chef. Um, that was always the goal. So I, I wanted to set up my own kind of nutrition consultancy for when I finished my master's. Um, so I decided to set that up or get the ball rolling almost before I started my master's. So I had a bit of a head start. So I didn't get that post university slump. I just could almost keep that momentum going, finishing the master's and then going straight into the consultancy, which I've built up as opposed to, to going into, like I said, that slump, which I think a lot of people can fall into um, after finishing either a bachelor's or a master's. Uh, so I kind of wanted to just, you know, run with it and, and do my own thing. And the combat sports one is an interesting one to get into, but um, that kind of happened by chance. But, but yeah, I always kind of wanted to have my own business, have my own freedom. Um, and I think another thing as well, Charles, is that there are lots of uh, limited opportunities in, in the nutrition field. Well, if you dive further into it, the sports nutrition field, there's even further kind of opportunities cropping up. Um, and it's very much who you know, not as opposed to, you know, you can go on Indeed and type in sports nutrition. There'll probably be, I don't know, three or four jobs which might pop up. Probably not even three or four, probably one. So um, it's a very saturated marketplace. And I just didn't really feel comfortable or maybe a bit of imposter syndrome didn't for any of those I'd rather just try and control my own destiny and not put that in someone else's hands and just try and set up my own my own consultancy really mate yeah I mean you raise a great point and again I think this is something that people may speak about offline or privately between themselves but that's a very real problem you know don't be wrong but at least referring to the UK here, there are some fantastic school programs and a number of great academic programs when we look at the field of sports nutrition, but the number of opportunities on the other end just aren't really there. And I think back to some of my friends, my undergraduate degrees who went on to study master's degrees in sports nutrition, the large percent of them are not in the sports nutrition field or sector at all anymore. You know, they're pursuing other careers, which is a real shame. Um, you know, so to be able to speak up about that and favor in ways, you know, I, I guess encouraging to the listener who maybe feel some of those same things right now. So you mentioned in the in your previous spiel that you're specializing with combat athletes. So what made you arrive at that decision and, and why that demographic? You know, what, what what was it about combat athletes for you? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a strange story. Um, I basically was, was doing my sports nutrition masters, which predominantly was, was endurance based. So when I say that the content of the course was quite heavily endurance based. So whenever we had a case study, it was always like a cyclist or runner, triathlete, stuff like that. It was never really a mix of different sports. Um, 
But the story of how that kind of came about was I was at my local gym and PT, which I knew, basically I saw him and he said, oh, Jack, do you want a coffee? Um, we sat down for a coffee and had a little catch up. And he said, oh, by the way, um, before I forget, I've got this boxer that I kind of train S&C wise. He's awful with his nutrition in camp and making weight. Uh, he only really has like two meals a day, um, around like 900, 1000 calories. Um, and he sits in a sauna before the weigh-in and, and all that kind of stuff, same day weigh-in. So I said, okay, yeah, sure. I'll help him. Brilliant. Tell him that we'll meet in next week at a time, which is suitable. for um, And then walked away, went home, sat down and was like, whoa, I don't really know anything about combat sports nutrition, really. Um, what have I signed myself up for? Um, so just took it upon myself to listen to, you know, the fight science podcast with John Sullivan, which is a brilliant podcast with lots of expert guests on there, like Carl Langan Evans and, and Danny Lennon and people like that. So to listen to that notes and then just went and, went and read all the papers, just tried to do my best to upskill myself as best I could and spoke to other practitioners in the field. Um, and then, yeah, took him to the, through that camp with, you know, getting some body composition stuff done at local university uh, getting a meal prep company involved and again leaning on some some good practitioners in the field for a little bit of support and guidance when I needed to do that um, and it just kind of snowballed from there mate I was in the process of setting up my website and was working with a few kind of clients um, and I kind of thought well I'd quite like to do this combat sports thing as my only really clients and then was exposed to a little bit of business education which basically you know someone said to me um, you need to make yourself the guy to go to in this area. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And I, you look at people in, in industry, and I use Carl Langan as an example. When you think of him, you immediately think of combat sports. Um, if I was, we were talking off air, if you were to think of Stu Phillips, you'd think of protein. If you were to think Scott Robinson, example, you think that he works for boxers. So when you kind of niche down into it, you, you can attract a better audience. So just kind of rolled with it and uh, yeah, made the decision to kind of niche down and, Truthfully, I have a thing on my one of my application forms when um, a fighter wants to work with me and I put on there, like, why did you choose to work with me specifically as opposed to, like, another nutritionist or another coach? And they say, because um, we see that you help pro fighters or you specialise in, you know, combat sports nutrition. Basically, what I do, you specialise what I do. So I know I'm going to get the best information. So I think that's a, a useful tool to have. Um, but then again, a lot of people don't niche down. And they still do it very well. Like Kit Chamber is a good example. Um, guy from Jersey is a sports nutritionist that did a talk at Oxford Brooks when I was there. Uh, works with an array of athletes. So I don't think you necessarily have to niche down, but um, I think it's important to create a much clearer picture in your mind. So, so with that, do you work with any other athletes or are you solely focused on the combat athlete? At the moment, yeah, it's, it's just solely combat sport athletes. Um, probably see how it goes. There'll probably be a point where I know other practitioners that have worked in the field have got fed up with, with just working with one with one kind of target uh, demographic group. And then they, as, as their career has gone on, they've started to then, because of their kind of position in the marketplace where they're attracting a lot of leads, um, the ones which they may have turned away when they were trying to niche down, they can now say, actually, you know what, I could do with a different kind of challenge and maybe have 20% of these kind of clients um so it's something that i'm open to but at the moment just for the almost for the like the picture in my head um it makes sense to 
kind of stick with it and just just roll with combat sport athletes, which is difficult in the UK at the moment because there's not a lot of fights going on. But <laughs> hey, yeah, let, let's hope for some better days here in a few months down the line, and hopefully the world will return to some uh, normalcy. And I guess that kind of leads us in quite nicely to the next question: is for you to just share some of the challenges you faced in kind of setting up your own company and consultancy. And I think this is important that the listener understands, you know, maybe, yes, there is an element of risk involved here. Obviously, you know, risk, reward, weighing up uh, their options. But, um, you know, even just some of the points you've shared so far, a little bit of uncertainty maybe along the way. So just to kind of share some of the challenges you face and maybe how you've overcome those. Oh, yeah, there's, there's so many challenges there's some which i still face face now you know today that there's so many challenges mate i guess probably one of the key ones is probably thinking that you're not good enough i think it's called like imposter syndrome that you think that you shouldn't be doing this or what am i doing this is you know i shouldn't really be doing this um i've had that for a couple of times and it's quite difficult to kind of overcome but you have to realize that you are qualified you are an adult you can help people and those are the three things which are most important, you know, above whatever price you charge or whatever is in your package or all of these things. The bottom line is that you're qualified and you can help people. So inaction never really did anything for anybody. Um, they just stand still or worse, they go backwards. Whereas if you take action in something, the only direction you're probably go is up so or forward so i always think like take action um and don't really be, be scared of making commitment or or being scared what others people think of you i think is another key one which i'm sure that i've spoken to a lot of practitioners or students recently about should i set uh, up a blog page or should i set up an instagram account and the answer has been oh, i don't want to do it yet because i haven't got my master's yet or i don't want to do it because i'm scared of what other nutritionists will think um to which I kind of said to them, well, if you don't do it now, then when are you going to do it? When there's no right time, like you should just take action. Um, and I'm sure that the other people will be supportive of what you're trying to do. And if your main goal, which I still do with my social media now, obviously you have to put call to actions in there and you do have to advertise your services a bit. That's the whole point. But the goal is to kind of just help people. And I, I said that to a few students, you know, just just start an Instagram account or start a YouTube account or blog. If it's going to help one person, then it's worth doing. Don't listen to any kind of negative feedback. Um, yeah, I'd say just, just get going with it, get going with it as early as possible. Um, and then you won't have any regrets. You know, you can just move forward with it and keep building and keep, keep growing and keep making the mistakes you need to learn, which, which is another key point. Uh, I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, but I can, I've got a big book, which I write them all down in so that I can reflect on them. So I, every time I make a mistake or something goes wrong, I write it down and date it so that I can see when I made that mistake and kind of like what stage I was at. Was I still at uni? Um, you know, what time of the year was it? How was I feeling that week? I just wrote down some notes just to see why did I make that mistake? Was it impulsive? Was I trying to copy somebody else? Was it a decision which somebody else um, like influenced, I guess? So keeping tabs of the mistakes you made, just not being like, oh, I made a mistake, cool. And then just not really learning from it. You kind of, you, you need to reflect on on making mistakes, just like um just like athletes would. They'll reflect if they made a mistake in a fight or on the pitch with, with some of your 
I'm sure they they reflect on their performances and stuff. And I think we we kind of have to act exactly the same, right? Yeah, I agree, mate. And I think you make some fantastic points in there. I don't know, or I've not spoken to many other practitioners that at some point have not felt, um, you know, those kind of imposter syndrome, you know, symptoms and those feelings of feeling like they don't belong or they're not worthy enough to kind of be in that position or worrying about what others think of them. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it is something, unfortunately, you know, it, as time goes on, those feelings kind of subside a little bit. And as you become more confident and competent, it's there, but it, it, it is a shame. And again, this is something that I don't think universities do a good job of preparing students for, you know, I think everyone kind of is under this impression that they're going to leave university and walk straight into a dream job but there's a lot there's a lot of things that kind of happen in between that time period and the fact that even during your um university times you're taking it upon yourself to reflect on your experiences and those mistakes i think is huge and that is one thing you know i myself i still need to get better at is taking the time to sit down and reflect instead of beating myself up over a mistake to be able to take a step back and truly see how I can use it as a learning opportunity and again that's how you grow and you reflect on those mistakes and you perfect your craft and your practice and some of those other things that we just discussed will you know subside with time and experience but yeah it, it is a shame and I think something um, there's some fantastic books out there by the way and in the in the show notes I'll drop some links um, referring to imposter syndrome especially uh, which really helped me so um, be good reads for a listener it's a, it's a big one and going back to what you said Charles about the universities almost not preparing students um I felt for a few months that they're almost pulling the wool over your eyes but then when you get a bit more kind of mature and you kind of realize that uh, when you have your own business and you have your own motives that university at the end of the day is a business they need the money they need the students to get good results they only need two three students that graduate over maybe a decade to get good jobs because they only need to put three students on the website that got a job at the english institute of sport and another one got a job at derby county or, or something for them to put that on their website what they don't say is that well the other 97 percent didn't even go into jobs and nutrition so it's, it's, it's a business but I do think sometimes they could get more people in to maybe talk a bit about like business um you know like me maybe going in and doing a talk in time about the objections and challenges I faced when I was a student and how to maybe set up your own business um, but like I said in our previous chat there we did have a talk from Kit Chamier all about uh setting up your own business and how that process worked upon leaving university, which was which was pretty uh, inspirational for me to listen to because I had that mindset already in the back of my head while I was already doing it. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So his talk was was really helpful hearing from someone how they did it um, and how they've gone on to be successful and how it's a long, long process from setting it up to making a profit to growing and evolving and then, you know, to where almost like the end destination or veering towards the end destination so it's a long process but i think a lot of students or, or young practitioners could just do with a little bit of a reassurance or an arm around them and just say like look it will take a lot of time you've got to be patient with it you've got to be consistent with it um and most importantly just to start taking some action yeah no doubt i think that's all great advice um you mentioned it previously a little bit about social media and you know we are living in a 
increasingly connected world and you know the power of social media i think has really been highlighted over the past few weeks when you look at some of the uh kind of political ongoings in the world um i know you're pretty active on your channels you know how have you leveraged this to help kind of build your brand around what you do yeah social media is massive i always say it's that it's the talking to my dad about it the other day, trying to get some help with his marketing because he's a bit of a dinosaur, doesn't even know how to use LinkedIn. Um, but was just saying how he would put an ad in the local newspaper for his business and he would hope to, you know, hire someone that way. So he'd put a job ad in the local paper and he would get X amount of people inquiring um, or putting a ad on local radio or something. But I said, well, your phone is your new newspaper, phone, um, sorry, radio, TV, it's everything. So... People are on their phones when they're queuing for their food supermarket. They're on their phones when they're getting onto the train. They're on their phones when they're on the toilet. They're on their phones at the traffic lights, some people. So, you know, the thumb is scrolling constantly, right? So you need to be in the, you need to be in the game, you know, to be successful at it. So yeah, social media is huge. Um, and it's something that I started up ages ago and I've just been consistent with it. And I was looking through my posts from like a year ago where I was putting helpful stuff out um, and it was like a hobby, wasn't really targeting or speaking to anybody, but I needed those maybe six, seven months to, to learn from all that and learn how to post and learn what times work best and just get a feel for it really. And it's only over the last kind of like four months, I'd say since last autumn, where I started taking it seriously and getting involved on pain points of my specific audience. And now I feel like I'm actually talking to people like some the other post and i'm talking about struggle which they've gone through and i can almost tell that two of them are sat there thinking like oh geez yeah that's me um, whereas i think like at the start i was probably a little bit more like just saying stuff just regurgitating information because everybody could put a post out on how creating loading is great but it's just like it's not really it's helpful but it's not really it's not really speaking to anybody it's like you want to get across you and your personality um, because I guess that's what people are getting when they work with a nutritionist. Like your guys, they they work with you. They're working in a one-to-one -one relationship. So you need to get that across and not be afraid of speaking um, to people or get, you know, getting the phone out, which I know is super uncomfortable. And I used to hate doing it. It's like getting your phone out or getting your computer out and filming a video of yourself. It's not like an easy thing to do. But once you do the first one, like I'm, I'm sure you'll agree, Charles, once you do the first episode of the podcast, an example, the second one's a bit better and then the third one's better. And by the time you get to the fifth one, the sixth one, it's just it's just normal. You're just having a chat. But at the start, you build yourself up to almost feel like this is the thing ever. Like, oh, my God, I'm doing a podcast. Like, what do I do? How do I speak? Do I sound bad? You ask yourself all these questions. But as time goes on, you realize that it's not really that big of a deal. You're just having a chat with someone and it's being recorded. You know what I mean? So social media is the same. I've just, yeah, like I said, tried to get that niche, tried to actually speak to people, try and mix the content up with stuff, which is helpful because that's the main thing. And then, yeah, just putting call to actions on to, to actually get clients. Cause otherwise people will just assume that you're not taking anybody on, which is something which, um, something which I spoke to another nutritionist, Charlie B stone about is, yeah, if you don't put any call to actions in place, then people will just assume that you don't work with anybody. You're just, um, you're just, you're just like a information page, right? You're just putting out helpful information. Well, you kind of need to let people know that, yeah, you've got this problem and I'm actually here to help with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, no, I, 
I follow your pages. I think you do a great job. You put a lot of unique stuff out there. Um, you know, again, when we speak about how powerful, you know, and connected we are these days. And this wasn't something I gave you a heads up about on the list of questions, but the more I think about it, um, especially the past year or so with COVID lockdowns, restrictions, and again, you know, largely most consultancies are based, um, you know, online. How about connecting with your clients? How have you found that? What are some good kind of tips or pointers you can give to people who may consultancy or not may be working remotely and trying to, you know, build those relationships and get by with athletes? Yeah, I'm a big believer in one-to-one personal relationships. Face-to-face is important, like I said, because you're not buying when you work with a nutritionist or you're working with an athlete. You're not buying you know i've got post-it notes here that, that's a product you're not you're not buying a post-it note you're buying a service and a relationship with somebody so you, you have to see what they look like and you have to work with them closely so i always try and encourage all of my guys to all the fighters which i work with to to jump on video calls and i've changed it recently so my inquiry call where when someone wants to book and work with me it's it's mandatory that it's a video call um whether they switch their video on um, I'm not too bothered. I mean, I'd like them to, but it's just for them to see me uh, and for them to kind of get a gauge of what I'm about and a little bit about me instead of just speaking to me on the phone and then great. Yes, yeah, sign up. It's just a little bit more personal. Um, so online, online technology and using things like, like zoom or FaceTime loom as well as a good one. So looms like a video recording software. I don't know if you've used it. Um, you can basically kind of do like a zoom recording. So you've got like your face in the corner in a little box, but you can record the screen. So I've been using that, sending a few plans or some resources over to, to fighters. If, you know, if they're really busy, I can just do a quick video recording and send that over to them. That replaces almost like an in-person chat or an explanation that's in person. Um, but some people that are local, we can still meet up and have a chat if it's outside and stuff, particularly now. So not too bad, but yeah, definitely it's opened my eyes a little bit about how you may perhaps old school drive somewhere to see someone, maybe takes 45 minutes, park up, pay 560 parking for a few hours, get out of there. And then by the time you get home, it's five hours later where you can condense that down into an hour just by dropping a Zoom call. So I think for efficiency, what we've realized is that do we really need to be doing these things? But I think still that one-to-one personal face-to-face relationship is is key if you can and if it's easy to do still do it but going forward i think these things like zoom and stuff are definitely there to stay well at least they will be with the stuff i do i mean for fighters which i work with who are not local it just makes it easy for us to communicate we can just jump on a zoom call um their trainer can get involved or their coach can get involved if they're training um and we can just have an in-depth kind of chat or catch up that way instead of us just having a phone call so yeah, definitely invest in in stuff like uh, Zoom because it's free. Uh, Loom is free as well, up to like five minutes. So if you're doing like quick check-in videos or little kind of bite-sized clips, that's that's really good too. And there's one called Screenomatic, I think, for Mac, which you can use. Um, but those are some really good, useful tools which practitioners can use to kind of stay in touch with their athletes. And then one I forgot as well, Charles, is WhatsApp. WhatsApp is like king for just communicating with people um and if people are worried if they're going to scale or they don't want to interfere their personal life and their business relationships then maybe just get two phones and just put the business one away on a saturday afternoon or something 
Yeah, that's a that's a good call there. I think it's important to highlight. Yes, we are very connected and staying in touch with the athletes is you know a vital part of what you do. But important to try and put some barriers in place there as well. Um, you know, everyone loves the uh, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. text or phone call from an athlete. You know, try to figure things out. But again, you know, that's that's part of it to an extent. But you know, trying to put some boundaries in place is a is a big one. Um, yeah. Those um, 10 p.m. calls, which I get after they finished, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, evening spas, where you go, oh, Jack, I've just finished my spa. Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Or should I? And I'm like in bed with, you know, my missus or trying to watch a film or something. <laughs> I'm to answer the phone. But I think it's like you said, it's, it's stuff which you have to do. And perhaps when you get a certain status, maybe, or skin in the game and you're a bit of a high level, you can maybe set those boundaries. But I think for younger practitioners, just yeah, going the extra mile and, and being available will go a long way. Yeah, and I think that again, that last point is a great point. And something in the first episode of the podcast that came up is, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about work-life balance. And yes, yeah, so and maybe a certain point you can put some boundaries in place and have a little bit better balance in your kind of work and your um, private life, but. I do think sometimes when individuals are starting out in the field, just having an understanding that, um, you know, this kind of ultimate saying that if it was easy, that everyone would do it, you know, the people that go above and beyond the time and are generally the ones which last and make it in their career to the places that they want to be and the stuff they want to do. So, yeah, I think, again, that ties into a lot of points you made earlier about being persistent and kind of taking it upon yourself. And, you know, if, you want to make it in this field, you know, when we speak about the small um, small number of opportunities and the kind of dropout rates from school programs, you know, uh, you don't have to put the time in in the initial phases. And I think it's important that people hear that. Yeah. Another thing with that as well, with the whole social media, I just, I was just thinking about it then when you're talking was I'd say that predominantly kind of 80, 90% of of inquiries or conversations or current clients have come from either me reaching out or them seeing my stuff on social media. Uh, and that is then after I've worked with them, maybe a boxing coach has said, Oh, look at the shape he's in or look how good a job Jack's done. Maybe he's, he's dropped them off at sparring because their car broke down, which he did once. And that looks good in their eyes. And it's not really taking me much effort, but it looks good. And looks like I'm going the extra mile, little stuff like that. Um, goes a long way and then the coach is on board and then they will then you know i've had two referrals this week from a from a coach um who i work with one of his boxers and he said i've got these two amateurs which i want to work with that um I, you know i think you should work with these he came to me and was gave me a call and was like i want you to work with these two guys like they need to work with you kind of thing they're, they're serious so i was like you know just getting the extra mile i think long term pays off and something which i learned from from someone in the combat sports field was to just immerse yourself in it like there's nothing better than just immersing yourself in the sport if, if you really are passionate about it like i know people that will charge almost a, a day rate for going to going to the the one of their fighters um you know fight days eight at the end of their eight ten week camp and i almost think with that okay but surely you've put so much work in it's just just as big a project for you that it than it is for the boxer or the fighter like you want to see all your hard work pay off like little things like that like just going on a saturday to go to the fight or training up at training or sparring at 8 p.m in the evening 
like I know a lot of a lot of practitioners that, that don't even go to sparring or anything and it's like how can you understand what the box is going through or you surely you want to watch them in their spars and, and things like that if you can go so not sort of finishing at six o'clock and thinking like I've done my work for the day this is my chill time you know going and getting involved with sparring uh, chucking some gloves on which I've been made to do <laughs> made to look like an idiot you know and, and just getting it into it and having to go with it and the other week one of the coaches turned around to me like after one of the one of the spars and just said I'll oh, get his gloves off and I had this, I had no idea how to take this guy's boxing gloves off you know all hand wraps and all tied up and stuff and we just had to do it you know just just get involved and just be completely immersed from it because then it just gets that buy-in especially if you're someone that probably hasn't done the sport because a lot of people say like oh well you haven't you haven't done you know american football you haven't done you haven't played tennis so how can you understand what the sport's about or what you're going through well the next best thing would be to just be around it and just learn as much as you can and try and understand it you know try and watch everything which is going on the sparring um, what the other athletes are doing how the coach interacts with the fighters all that kind of stuff yeah i think you can learn a lot from just being present and observing when you speak about things again like building buy-in um you know athletes notice that stuff and appreciate it and i think uh, it definitely goes a long way all right mate well i'm conscious of your time i'm gonna leave you with this one um you know there may be a lot of individuals listening to this who may be thinking about starting their own you know private nutrition consultancy um you know kind of branching off and doing their own thing what are your best pieces of advice that you would offer for someone looking to go on their own? Just go for it. Just do it. Just take action. If it, if it's an idea and you want to do it, don't listen to anybody that says that you shouldn't do it or you can't do it. Just start taking action. Don't overcomplicate things. Don't overthink things like trying to make a welcome pack or, or trying to, you know, make the perfect service or product. So it's just go out there go out with the mindset of maybe these are the people which I want to help. I'm going to help them and just go from there. Don't worry about anything else. And what I will say as well, Charles, is that I think in our field, once you evolve in it and you network, you find out that the people, why well, particularly in combat sports, because obviously that's what I've been into for the last year now is that the people, practitioners involved with it, whether it be SNC coaches or physios or nutritionists, I haven't met one who I've spoken to who I haven't gelled with or we haven't had a good conversation about the good of the sport or they haven't we haven't helped each other with some mutual advice I think that practitioners or young practitioners are scared about reaching out to you know older more experienced people because they're scared that they're going to waste their time or um, you know they, they just feel like they shouldn't be messaging them or reaching out but I think pretty much most people in our field will will lend a hand and give some advice but I think on the caveat on the flip side that you have to ask people um, almost what they, you can do for them as opposed to, I had someone that, that jumped into my DMS and then wanted to jump on a zoom call and he didn't, he just went straight into the call and then just, just started firing questions. Didn't even say hello or, or anything. And I, I sort of messaged him afterwards. I gave him a call after and said, look, if I was maybe a more experienced practitioner, not just out of university, um, that would not have gone down very well, but I want you to learn from that because maybe it's perhaps something I've done before being a bit kind of transactional. Um, and I just gave him a bit of advice and said, look, if you did that with a more experienced practitioner, that would kind of be the door slammed shut in your face. But 
just try and be a bit more like, what can I do for you? Um, and I've now taken him on as um, almost like an intern. So I said to him, come back to me with some things which you could do for me and that would help me out. And then maybe we can have a chat about it and see how it would benefit both of us and just try and give us some good advice. But I think, yeah, people shouldn't be afraid about reaching out or asking for advice because there's a lot of good people in this field. And I don't need to drop their names because they, they probably know who they are. So... <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Definitely something I'd encourage. Like you said, lots of people out there who are willing to help and, you know, can give me some real gems of advice. Um, Jack, I appreciate your time. If anyone wants to connect with you, um, learn more about you or your services, you know, where, where can they find that? Yeah, so my Instagram is just called jackcoke.nutrition. Um, my website is, is pretty simple. It's just www jackcoke.co.uk if anybody wants to kind of just ping me a message on instagram and have a chat about any of the stuff we've spoken about today or or if anyone wants to help or if anyone's got an interest in combat sports and potentially wants to discuss anything um any research or any potential blog posts that they want to write then yeah just just get in touch and we can get that sorted all right fantastic mate i appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of the evening cheers charles mate